Welcome everyone to another episode of the Charity Charge Show. Today, I've got my friend with me, Baron J. Littleton of the Baron J. Foundation, who, and he's the executive director and founder. Thank you so much for being with us, Baron J. I'm so happy to be here, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You know, I've known you for, we've known each other for years. I think you originally reached out when we had our, just the consumer card program. And then I think now for at least probably 18 months or two years, something like that, you've also had the the business credit card with us. So thanks so much for being in our community and really being an early adopter of a lot of the stuff that we've been doing over these past handful of years. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, I, I remember um, the credit card. It's, it's an amazing thing because our credit limit started off at $5,000. And then within a year, we now at 20,000. So it's been a pretty good ride. So I expect for it to go up again sometime this year to like 35. So who knows? <laughs> well, no, I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I think that that's the consistent theme that, you know, we see daily and, you know, we're trying to make inroads in a small way now and hope to do it over time in the years and decades to come to really change how nonprofits access credit and other financial products. Um, so, I'm, I mean, I'm always just curious. I mean, I'm learning here, both of this podcast or wherever we take this conversation. But um, when you started the found from starting the foundation to where you are today and where you want to go, um, what has it been like working with traditional banks and, and why is it important for your foundation to grow the, the credit line? Um, it's been very challenging working with traditional banks. For some reason, they look at nonprofits that it's not a, like a, a real business. Uh, they they kind of look at nonprofit like a stepchild or like a distant cousin. They're like, ah, I don't know. But with your program, they look at us as a first cousin or you know uh, a blood relative, and they really go far and beyond to extend credit and to work with you. And that's what they have done. I think we've been with them for at least less than 18 months. And we went from 5,000 to 20,000. So that's pretty good. What are, what's your perspective? Um, you know, and, and I'm sharing this, there's a variety of things that we can get into, but um, with everything that's happened, you know, over the past year, I'm specifically talking about um, Black Lives Matter movement, and I'm seeing different companies obviously step up in different ways, right? Committing capital. One of the big things that's been really eye-opening to me is um, how challenging it is. Um, you know, we're, we were talking about nonprofits in general, but people of color that are leading nonprofits from accessing credit and how um, marginalized people of color have been traditionally by banks. So you know, you had mentioned how nonprofits in general, right? People leading nonprofits can be looked at um, as a stepchild and, and marginalized, but it seems like the problem's even deeper when it's people of color that are trying to lead organizations. So I'm just curious, like, do you have any personal experiences with that and any thoughts about, you know, sort of this aspect of um, leveling the playing field and making access to, to capital and, and banking services um, you know, easier for, f for you and your peers? Um, it's, uh, it's, it's challenging, but you just have to swing a lot of bats uh -huh. like Babe 
you have to keep swinging. Then eventually you're going to hit the ball. You're going to get a base hit. You're going to get a home run. And eventually you're going to land with that particular bank or bank officer or community organization that's going to assist you. You just, you just don't have the luxury of going up to the bat and you getting up there, you're going to hit a home run like Ken Griffey Jr. You know, you're going to have to strike out many times before you get that home run. So you just have to look at it in that perspective. You can still get there, but you're going to have to do more swings than the regular person that has, has, has to do at the uh, plate. Well, it's look, I appreciate that perspective. I think, you know, obviously perseverance and not quitting and giving up, you know, is the hallmark of any successful person, but you know, I think it's bullshit that how stacked against, you know, the financial services industry is for, for people running nonprofits and people of color anyway. I mean, it shouldn't be that way. Right. And so when I think about the world, you know, the vision that I have for the world and what I'm hoping to affect change, it's to, to flip that system. Right. So people can work with us or work with other banks um, and not be, not be marginalized or screwed over. But uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I appreciate your response, but, but I, th- I don't think it should be that way is what I'm getting at. Right. It, should not, it shouldn't be that way, but it is, and you get used to it. And sometimes you get used to it that you, you uh, develop the, the scab or the sore where it doesn't really bother you anymore because that's what you're used to. Fair. No, I appreciate you sharing that. So, you know, I want to talk with you about y- your foundation because- one of the cool things about this podcast is just an opportunity to, you know, go deeper, right. With, with people that I've been able to meet over the past handful of years through, through the charity charge networking community family. Um, one of the things that really inspires me and, and motivates me of, of what I know about your work and the conversations we've had is that you took this big leap to go and start your own foundation. Um, and I want to cover the specific areas but I think what it really shows is how, you know, the capacity that we all have to give back and we can do it in different ways, right? So yep. you've decided and you've gone, you've clearly, you know, integrated philanthropy and doing good and giving back to become a big area of your life, starting this foundation. Um, but it's also people can join boards, people can just volunteer, people can donate money. So I'm curious you know, for you to first, my first question to you is, what was it that motivated and inspired you to start the foundation in the first place? Uh, what motivated me to start the Baron J Foundation is uh, two things. Um, number one is that I was giving a lot to adults and helping them, and it wasn't appreciate, appreciating the efforts and energy and resources I was giving them. So I decided that I should be given to the youth because I was once the youth as my, I was once the youth growing up in Detroit and I benefited from a lot of public programs and different programs that came to my school, et cetera. So I said, you know what, let me give back to the youth because they appreciate the work and effort more than the adults. Even though I still focus on adults, but 80% is focused on the youth and they appreciate it. And, and you, and you water in the plant and you get to see them blossom over the years. So I wanted to give them a step up, uh, a step up, like something that I, I received. So like different programs that I, I was a part of, I kind of reinvented those programs and made them better. Or, or, or no, there's also some programs that they didn't have that I created. 
when growing up, as you reflect back, what were some of the programs that, you know, memories you have that, that really helped, helped you and, and, you know, had a lasting effect? Uh, it was one program where they had, uh, uh, they had different executives from corporate America that would come to school and, and mentor us. They would come during lunchtime and they would talk with us. And sometimes they would come after school and talk to us and, and do homework with us. And occasionally, uh, throughout the school year, they would take us on different excursions, like to a Detroit Pistons game. I went to a Detroit Pistons game for the first time with my mentor. And that was very exhilarating. I still remember that. I still remember his face. I remember everything about him. He, he worked in computers at IBM. And I remember he took me to a, a game. We set up way in the rafters. And then the second time he took me, we sat on the floor. So wow. those type of things uh, made a difference uh, in my life to be able to experience that. That's awesome. I could see your face light up, you know, and it, I think it shows how one it's infectious. Cause now I'm lighting up, you know, just thinking of that, but I think it really shows how important, you know, giving back, but specifically mentorship can be and the lasting effect that it can have on people, you know, for anyone listening, I think it's just amazing. Yes, it is. And another mentor uh, was uh, Mr. Burton Mabing. He, uh, talked to us about accounting and finance. And he, he helped me get my first mutual fund, which was with Templeton Mutual, Templeton Mutual, uh, Templeton Fund. Mm -hmm. And I was like 16, he came to my house and he sat down with my mother and my mother opened up the account. She was custodian over it because I was only 16. And, and I believe I was putting like $25 a month into the account and my mother was putting like 25 as well. And I was able to put $25 a month because I was selling candy at school next to the vending machines. So he taught me about finance and just imagine, you know, being taught about mutual funds at 16 and actually being able to open up one. Whereas I took advantage of that. I, you know, I told my mother and he came to the house and did it, but whereas most children probably did not. So um, I was very proactive. So those that's, types of things mm -hmm. uh, really uh, sparked the seed in me. And that's another reason why I'm, I love to give back and create programs for our youth. And you're based at this point for the audience in Los Angeles. So can you talk to us specifically about some of the, the programs that the foundation's doing and sort of how would you describe the foundation of someone that's learning about it for the first time? Um, how I would describe the Baron J Foundation is like the Boys and Girls Clubs without walls because we do our programming in the schools during classroom time. So our, our instruction is, is similar to like an elective that the students receive. Mm -hmm. So like when you think of uh, Uber, they're like a taxi company that doesn't own any cars where we're like the boys and girls club, but we don't own any buildings because we do our programming at the schools. So that's how I like to describe the Baron J Foundation. And one of my programs that I'm very uh, excited about is our uh, lunch and learn program, 30 minute mentor. It's when we have executives from the community that would come to the school once a week and have lunch with a group of students. So the executive would come, sit down with them before their lunch period and talk to them about business, business plans. And then the next hour they go to lunch with that business executive at their school in their cafeteria where he sits down with them and eat their food, their cheese, burgers, their fries. So he's becoming them. They get a chance to talk and ask questions about life, about business. So it's like, how many times do students get a chance to sit down 
with a business professional, whether that's a banking, a dentist, a, a doctor, a, a mail person, a person that owns the cleaners in their community. So it's a very effective program. That's amazing. Yes. I, I don't know if you take uh, guest visitors, but next time I'm in LA, I want to be a part of this. I'm sincere. Absolutely. Yeah, that Absolutely. would be that would be awesome. You know, I, I to me, I mean, I have a similar experience in the sense when I think back of being motivated and inspired as a kid, I was always drawn towards uh, entrepreneurship. And so the times that I had where I would interact and I'm, I'm thinking of one in particular in school in, I mean, two, two main experiences that have always stuck with me are events. One was, um, when we were in the fourth grade, we were, our fourth grade class was broken up into groups. I think, I think it was four kids each. So there were three other kids. And then we were assigned to a, an alum of the school who had started a business Mm. and the guy, I forget his last name. The last name was Blum and he had started, it was called Rent-A-Rec. It was a rental car company um, that regionally I think had been really, had been pretty darn successful. And he was just such a nice guy. And then he was, we were the only group that he followed up and sent us like, hats and pencils and um um like notepads and uh rulers he just sent us sort of like a swag bag of of their like branded stuff and i i always just was like wow this guy really cares about us i mean it was such a little thing but when you're a little kid and like you really appreciate getting little like gifts or trinkets or whatever and i remember none of the other groups got it. And, and, you know, one day we came in and our teacher said here, Mr. Blum, like sent this in for you. And, you know, we felt so special. <laughs> it was kind of the haves and the have nots because the other, whoever the other mentors were for the other groups in the class, they didn't get anything. So we just felt, we just felt so special. So that always stuck with me, you know, and it's, uh, was, was a really good lesson in sort of, you know, how to follow up and how to make people feel special. And then, um, I know this interview is very much about you, but you know, another moment I had was in sixth grade, we were tasked by our science teacher. We were doing a whole um, sort of module on for, for the month on sustainability and recycling. And we were told we could reach out to any CEO of any company, send them a letter that either talks about their uh, recycling if they're doing a good job, you know, tell them why. And if they're doing a bad job, critique them, you know, whatever you want. And I had just gotten a computer from our first Dell computer. And it said that it was recycled or the the packaging was from recycled materials. So I sent a letter to Michael Dell. And about three weeks later, I got a letter back from Michael Dell plus a polo shirt. And it was like, (laughs) you know, and I didn't know what I didn't know. I was 12 reaching out to the CEO of a big publicly traded company. And it just taught me that people are accessible, like just reach out, you know, to anyone. Yes, we actually have done that exercise too several times with our students. This is a very effective uh, exercise because most students don't believe that people outside their circle are accessible. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
And it is like the first part too. A lot of times now, like there is follow up. That one happened to get to him and he, and he sent it back. Right. So I, I just want to say like sort of to the kids and stuff, it goes both ways. Sometimes you send and you get it right back. Other times, right. like you were saying with the banks, you got to be persistent about whatever it is you want in life or whoever's, you know, attention you want to get. But anyway, yeah, it's just really, I can relate to what you're sharing. I really, I love what you're doing. Steven, that goes to a point when I was uh, 15 years young, um, I wanted to become, I became bat boy for the Detroit Tigers, Major League Baseball team. I wanted to be a bat boy since I was eight years old, but it didn't happen until I was 15. Um, but I was persistent. And I had called the Detroit Tigers operator and say, hey, my name is Ben. I want to be a bat boy. Who do I need to talk to? So they put me in contact with Jim Shemako. I'm not, I don't know who he, I didn't know who he was. He was the equipment manager and I spoke to him and he told me to write a letter and I wrote a letter and my auntie helped me write it, Auntie Marguerite. And he got the letter and he wrote me back. And he told me all these qualifications that I need to have. I was like, wow, I gotta have all this? And then I couldn't get in contact with him again. So I kind of gave up. And then I had a summer job working at the hospital and I told him that I wanted to be a bad boy. They say, you know what, you need to be persistent. Give him a call again. So I did and I got in contact with him. And he told me to come in for an interview and I did. Uh, I was in ROTC in high school. I wore my dress blue uh, ROTC uniform and he set me down and he said, hey, you're going to um, be washing clothes, uh, washing dishes, cleaning cleats, polishing cleats, cleaning up the locker room. Is there something you want to do? And I was like, yes. He said, okay, I'm going to start you off part-time. So he started me off part-time as a bat boy for the Detroit Tigers. That was during the era of like uh, Sparky Anderson was the uh, uh, the coach. And then a few years later, he left and Celso Fielder, Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker, uh, Michael Doherty, if people follow baseball, it was during that era. And that was an amazing experience to be working around professional athletes at the age of 15. That's so the, cool. Yes. And then the following year, uh, uh, John Nelson called me. He said, hey, Baron, you want to come work on the visitor side? I was like, what's that? He said, the visitor side, where you... Uh, all the teams I played against the Detroit Tigers. And I was like, yes. So I went over to the visitor side, which is even better because I got a chance to meet all the players that played against the Detroit Tigers. And I was there every since. And that happened because of follow-up, 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 because it's something I wanted to do because I didn't have an inside track. So I had to keep calling and figuring out a way to get in. I eventually did. That is awesome. It is yeah. such a great, it is such a great story and a great, great lesson. I used to always think of, um, there was a line in, um, boy, I'm forgetting which book, uh, is it behind me on the shelf? Uh, it is somewhere in there. Yeah, here. This is, uh, the cover's not on it, but this is Never Eat Alone by mm. Keith Ferrazzi. All and right. one of his big lines is he just says, follow up or fail. Uh, follow up or follow fail. Up. So I think about that a lot, you know, and there's, there's, and then you realize that there's also tact and stuff with it. But anyway, these are, these are really phenomenal lessons. I want to, I want to come back to the, um, the foundation, because one of the things I want to ask you is, you know, starting this, there's, there's a lot of ways that people can give back. I imagine, you know, you were talking about how you have volunteers, for example, the different uh, executives or people running yeah. the companies that come in. For you, why, and there are people that choose to, uh, I would say, do it big, like start the foundation. 
did you have any thoughts in just you yourself volunteering directly for like a um, boys and girls club or something like that? Why was it important to you to start the, the foundation as opposed to maybe yourself just being a volunteer for another nonprofit? That's a good question, um, Stephen. I started off being a volunteer for other organizations like the Boys and Girls Club where I was a mentor, Children of United Nations, where we work with foster youth, where I would meet with uh, a foster youth every week. I would drive down there, talk to them, take them to lunch and go, go to different events with the foster youth. I started off as a volunteer. I was a volunteer for Operation Hope for financial literacy. So I started off as a volunteer and then it merged into me opening up the uh, Baron J Foundation uh, with the uh, support of my uh, ex-wife, uh, Yolanda. Uh, she was with me when I started the Baron J Foundation. And, and I, I always said, you know what? Um, I, I don't think I'm in a position to give back right now. I think I need to be at a certain level before I give back. And that's not true. Someone once told me, hey, give back where you are. You don't have to, you don't have to wait until you get to a certain position. You can give back where you are. And, and I wanted to uh, create uh, a legacy and uh, I wanted to plant seeds. So I thought the best way to do that is to open up an organization and, and partner with the organizations that I was uh, volunteering for. And that's what I did. And what about, we're, we work with you know, organizations that are wide range of revenues, but we're starting to work with more and more and making Charity Charge accessible to brand new nonprofits. I mean, every day someone's, you know, in a situation like you were in years ago and saying, I want to start, you know, an organization and, and, and help in, you know, some sort of specific way. So I'm just curious for you, like reflecting back on when you started the organization to where you are today, what advice would you give to your younger self? I mean, what were some of the, um, learning curves or things you sort of had to figure out maybe the hard way and what sort of like advice would you give to someone that is starting a nonprofit today? Okay. I guess I'll start with the first question first, Stephen. Um, something I will uh, tell my younger self, and this was actually taught to me in a class from, a, uh, from an instructor she said, Baron, you need to partner with other established nonprofits in the area. That's what I would tell my younger self. And I think someone had told me that, and then I actually utilized that mm -hmm. uh, wisdom. So I reached out to other um, nonprofits that were more established and did partnerships with them. Not all of them wanted to do a partnership. Not everybody got back to me. Because it's like, okay, who are you? What are you doing? But once I started doing the work, when they said no, then they wanted to partner. So sometimes I would tell someone, do not wait to partner or wait to get money to start doing the work. Start doing the work now with the resources and the money that you have right now. Because you have, you have resources, you have time, and then also you have money. So you can start off with those resources and when people in the community see what you're doing, then they're going to reach out and say, hey, I want to partner with you. Or when you reach out, they're going to want to partner because they see the work that you're doing in the community. And that's exactly what happened because I started doing the work. When I started doing the work and not counting on their support or help, then that's when they're like, oh, we want to partner with you. 
That's what was the second? What was the, What was the second question? What would I tell somebody now? I think that's the question. Yeah, what would I tell somebody now that wants to start a nonprofit? Yeah, I mean, there. It's. I mean, you really you answered it right. Okay. I think it's. I want to go down this path a little bit because this is. Um, everything that I've seen up close and personal about my own entre social entrepreneurial experience of starting Charity Charge, um, you know, you can have. Everyone's got ideas right? Yeah. And it's all about the execution of actually doing it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, if you want to be able to attract a worthy partner, you need to be worthy yourself, right? And so, Absolutely. and I also think too, it's I me, mean, it's the mindset of a lot of people or whatever, I mean, get hit up or asked for like to get involved, you know, in sort of early stage stuff. But once they actually see that the train is pulling out of the station, that they're going to miss out. Yep. They want to be a part of it. So I think that, you know, what you shared, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm trying to break it down and, you know, you, you know, use this as a learning opportunity for myself. You're sort of, it's sort of two competing sides. I mean, one is find the organizations that you want to partner with and you can, and some of those may be willing to do it out of the gate and that's great and partner with them. And if not, don't take that rejection as the bad thing. Just go and be great yourself. And that's going to naturally attract them to actually want to follow through or return the phone call or do that with you because they're going to see that, um, you know, you're a worthy partner. Yes, yeah, Stephen, you broke it down. Excellent. You summarized cool. it very well. Thanks, man. You may appreciate it. No, it, it's so true. It's so obvious, but I get um, a lot of people that reach out to me with different financial services or really even just credit card products. A lot of times they have nothing to do with nonprofits or charitable. It's just some idea for a credit card and they see, hey, you started a credit card company. How do I do that? Right. And they're mostly always in just pure conceptual form. Like they're not even taking some of the next steps to formalize it. Right. Yes. And then there's been others where I've given a little bit of advice and then they've gone and they've started to execute on it. Mm -hmm. And I want to help them even more because I realize, wow, this is someone that actually is going to follow through and is following through. Yes. Absolutely. So it's true. And, you know, and I, so I think that that's a really good point. Part of though, what comes up, I'm curious, like if there's to the extent you're comfortable sharing specifics, or just even with you now, I mean, I imagine different nonprofits reach out, you know, reaching out to you to partner and whatnot. One of the challenges, and this is, you know, something that I'm, I've seen head first. And then when I talk with people that run foundations that are, you know, in a grant making role, they're really challenged with the lack of collaboration amongst nonprofits. And there's a lot of nonprofits that don't want to collaborate, you know, and are very sensitive about their donors, about their programming, things of that sort. So um, what has been your experience just in general with organizations that don't want to collaborate? What, what do you think their rationale or reasoning is? Uh, for nonprofits that do not want to uh, partner with other nonprofits, um, yes. I believe that they are afraid that you might shine brighter than them mm -hmm. and also that you may so uh, you may take over some of their donors not that you 
intentionally trying to do it is just that their donors may like, oh, I really like what they're doing. Let me donate some money here. And they may feel that as if their donor or sponsors by donating to you, they're taking money away from, from them, which is could be the case and could not be the case because sponsors have a pool of money they can share amongst many nonprofits. So I think it's a, a fear factor of nonprofits and scarcity mentality. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more with you. And I think that we really need to um, change that as a whole, right? There's a, as a more I talk to different nonprofits, the term nonprofit industrial complex has come up. And it's sort of just yeah. this concept of all of these um, either misconceptions or inefficiencies that are happening in the nonprofit sector. And I, I just wonder about a world where there's harmony and there's not a sense of scarcity amongst people that are running nonprofit organizations yeah. so that they can really fulfill and follow through on, on the mission. Um, and so I think it's, so I think it's an important thing. I'm on your website right now. I'm on, I'm on a section here that talks about um, your impact. Um, you know, are there any sort certain like, metrics or things, numbers, things that you're particularly proud of, of the work you have been able to do either in the past couple of years, you know, or kind of all in? I think what I'm most proud about is that the uh, mentors uh, that, that are on our team, how they keep in contact with the students outside of the classroom, whether that's through email, text, phone or taking them somewhere outside of their home, where that could be to a game, to a salon to get a haircut. That's what I'm most proud about. Those type of uh, interactions where students can actually have a figure that they can remember that was introduced to them by the uh, Baron J Foundation. Kind of similar to the, uh, the two mentors from my high school who I was introduced to and how they kept in contact with me and took me under their wing. Totally, that's, a, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, in closing this out, one of the things that's on a lot of nonprofits' minds and something that I've been really impressed with getting to know you is your ability to fundraise and your ability to create um, really strong relationships um, that have helped you in your marketing efforts. I even think about you know our, the, the billboard relationship yeah. that you've had and doing that. You've just been very out of the box and I think been very resourceful. So um, can you talk to us a little bit about your, um, you know, experience in the fundraising side and sort of advice you would give to, you know, what are the, some of the things that you've learned there that you might give, you know, advice to your younger self starting, starting out about how to fundraise and, 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 you know, work with corporations or other supporters? Uh, one thing I would tell my younger self is to attend several different nonprofit galas and dinners and mixers within your community or city. Because when you do that, you're gonna meet the sponsors that sponsored those events. And usually the people that sponsored those events are gonna be there that make the decision to determine who they're gonna sponsor in the future. So you need to be seen at those type of events. That's what I would tell my younger self. And that also, is, that's the first time I've ever heard that. It's brilliant. It's so basic, but yeah. Well, it's so basic. I'm like, seriously? Wow. <laughs> I mean, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's like if you want to uh, meet a cute girl, some people might go to a yoga studio because that's where the cute girls are because more women more women probably do yoga than guys. So you can go to a yoga studio when you meet a girl. So it yeah. just, you have to be in the environment of the company of the people that you want to meet. And yeah. yes. And and also this right here, what I have on, you mentioned, this is a, called Taibo. This is a, a, a creation that I launched this year during COVID. Um, and part of the proceeds benefit the Baron J Foundation. And it's That's a great, awesome. Yeah, it's a great way for young men to uh, wear something that's unique and they don't have to tie it because it's connected together and it goes around your neck. It's called tie bow. That's awesome. What are the, what's the price point? Uh, the price point, this is a luxury item. The price point is 149. That's awesome. Do you sell yeah. them? Does it have its own URL or is that on its own? It has its own URL, which is the original the T H E original O R I G I N A L Thai T I E Bow B O W dot com. The original Tybo.com. And then also we picked up the name real Tybo.com. So both of those websites, both of those domains would take you to the website. Real R E A L Thai T I E Bow B O W dot com. Real Tybo.com or the original Tybo.com. That's where you can pick up your item if you don't wear it, it's 30 different selections so if you don't if a person doesn't like it they can give it away as a gift to someone special to them i'm pulling it up right now i All love right. your i love your creativity baron it's Thank awesome you. um so yeah also just in, in closing out here um for anyone that's listening you can find more at baronjfoundation.org uh, Baron, what are what are other kind of closing messages you'd like people to know about getting involved, supporting your efforts, or any other message you'd like to to share? Um, you can go to Baron B A R O N J A Y dot us Baron J dot us if you want to get involved with uh, volunteering, in kind donations, or uh, doing some virtual mentoring for our students. Go to Baron J dot us b-a-r-o-n-j-a-y dot us awesome thank you so much for for that i was just trying to pull up pull up the site there i see it you've got uh you did a typo no 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 you've got it on there uh this is cool i love uh you have this is this the whole thing with uh sow a seed with baronj.com yeah, so it's see with baronj.com is a, a landing page that will, yeah. uh, that leads people to uh, volunteer and also to uh, get involved with what we're doing. But yes, yeah, so I thought you went to the original typo.com website. Oh, no. I mean, I had looked that up separately. So no okay. no worries, man. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for coming on, doing a little episode here. And I wish you guys a ton of success and can't wait to to be out there in LA whenever you know I'm allowed to travel next. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate it. Thank you, Charity Charge. All right. Take care.